All right. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good morning. For those of you who are joining us online, we're super excited that you carved out that time to, to worship with us, to study. We'll be taking communion later, so go ahead and grab your Bible, open up to Matthew 13, grab some juice, grab a cracker, some bread so that you can join us in communion. We think about you often. Jump on the chat of our uh, YouTube page that's uh, broadcasting this live and let us know you're there. Some folks will be interacting with you. We'd love to hear if you have any prayer requests or what's going on in your life, but you're a valuable member of this church and we're super glad that you are worshiping with us wherever life finds you uh, today. And for those of you in this room, we're super excited that you're here. We're on our last Sunday looking at Matthew chapter 13, all these different parables. But before we get into that, I want to address what's going on in our world real quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we do need to address it. Um, if you saw this morning, uh, President Putin of Russia mobilized and enacted uh, nuclear readiness uh, in Russia. Uh, and yesterday, North Korea fired missiles. Uh, China flew over Taiwan. Uh, Ukraine, Kiev is being bombed as we speak this morning. Uh, on the surface, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And it's scary. If you're not scared, your head is either in a hole uh, or you're naive at best. This is scary, scary times, especially for those of us who have, parent, or who have kids. So what's going on in the world is, is very topsy-turvy, and we're on very, very thin ice. So many of you have asked me, hey, are we in the end times? And I go, I have no idea. Like, God hasn't told me anything. You read the same Bible I read. But I do want to uh, draw your attention for some perspective, and these two verses have been very, very helpful for me as I watch the news and navigate what's going on in our world. First, Luke chapter 21, verse 11. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pandemics in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Matthew 24, verse 6. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Because these things must take place but the end is not yet. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes happened yesterday in, Vent in Ventura area in California, famines, pandemics. All I know is the Lord's coming back. And all I know is that we can trust him. And all I know is he's worthy of that trust. I have no idea what's going on in our world. Uh, I'm like you, I find myself scratching my head going, what the heck? Uh, but there's peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's peace in his foundation. There, there's peace in who he is, who he always will be. And I just want to direct our hearts in that regard. Do not give in to fear. Do not be, give in to the rumors and the scuttlebutt that flies around. Do not give in to the judgment and to the anger. We are to live different than those who are of this world. And that's not easy. So I just want to address that real quick. I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't address that. Please be praying. Uh, my original church, uh, when I was a youth pastor, we have missionaries in Ukraine, in Kiev, that cannot get out. Uh, they posted a video yesterday. I'll probably post on our website, on our YouTube, um, begging um, for protection. Uh, they, they're trapped. Um, and so scary, scary stuff. Um, but this is why we study the scriptures. This is why we proclaim the truth. 
And this is why we worship. Um, and this is why we take communion, to ready our hearts and to remind ourselves with what's really important. So with that said, uh, I do want to uh, turn our attention back to Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open those up. If you don't have one, there's uh, several in the seats in front of you. Uh, you can open up your iPad, you can open up your phone, wh whatever is the case. But Matthew chapter 13, and we've been focused on the parables of our Lord Jesus speaking to the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And he teaches us about God's kingdom beginning through the preaching of the gospel, its nature, its growth in the world, its immeasurable value, and final and complete establishment at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ himself on earth. And now we come to the final story at the end of this chapter, and it gives us a dramatic and very surprising, if you would, uh, example of how Jesus, the king of the Jews, this is important, would be received as he presented his kingdom to the Jewish people for whom that promise was given. So that's where we find ourselves this morning. So if you are able and willing, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? We pick it up in verse 53. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, referring to all the parables that we just learned about over the last several weeks, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do these miracles? They scoffed. He's just a carpenter's son. Oh, and we know Mary, his mother, and we also know his brothers, James and Joseph, Simon and Judas. All of his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. That is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You may have a seat. Jesus has a way of demolishing people's expectations of him. Jesus does not like to be put in a box, especially with the church. He despises being limited and labeled and, and being confronted with what he ought to be. And Jesus always turns out to be far greater and more powerful and more mysterious and more confusing than we ever give him credit for. That's been since the very, very beginning. People often have it in their minds that Jesus should be a certain way that I, I wish Jesus said this, or I wish he didn't say this, or I wish he would have confronted this in culture, or I really wish Jesus would just do this in my life, or with my friends, or with my family, or with my school, or with my life, my addiction, whatever it is, I wish Jesus would just do this, and we give him parameters, and we give him expectations, and, and we find ourselves thinking that Jesus has to be a certain way, and usually it's that Jesus should be a little bit more like me. That, hey, if I were God, I would deal with what's going on in Europe this way. I would deal with the pandemic this way. I would deal with a cultural issue this way. 
And we come with these expectations. And then when people finally encounter Jesus, and this might be you, or maybe you remember when you first encountered Jesus, when they encounter Jesus for themselves, either as people of old, right, the biblical times, or, or people even 50 years ago, or, or maybe you here today, we do so in reading of the scripture passages, and we find that he's very often different than our narrow expectations. It's always been the case. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes he blows our socks off. He, he's so much more loving and kind and patient and understanding with us. And yet other times we read the scriptures and we encounter Jesus and he's confronting or he draws lines in the sand. He calls us to a higher level of living. He says, you must take up your cross and follow me. And we go, well, hold on. Where's the kind, gentle, loving Jesus? And this is all of what he knows as he wraps up this teaching. He knows exactly what's happening and so we, this is the lesson for us initially, we always have to approach the scriptures and we always have to approach the person of Jesus with a humble heart, saying, teach me. Teach me. Not, I will tell you how it ought to be. Not, I, I think you might want to consider, I'm pretty wise, Lord. You might want to consider, I've got a couple of things to just throw past you. Just, you know, give it some thought. Humbleness is what we have to be prepared to do. Turn from our sins and forsake our wicked ways. Mark Arnett talked about that last week. Turning away, removing ourselves from a pattern, a behavior, a lifestyle of wickedness, meaning not the kingdom of God, that's all it is and turning towards him. And, and the important thing about that is we can't approach Jesus and study him like we would Abraham Lincoln or if we were to study World War I or if we were to, to study uh, another uh, uh, famous person in history. We have to approach the study and the understanding of Jesus in a very, very different light always with the scriptures, always letting the scriptures guide us and what he does in our hearts secondarily. We have to come personally and experimentally with a deep, humble, personal sense of seeking and a hunger to receive mercy as a sinner. If we approach Jesus in that way, we find his heart we find who he really is. We, we find his ambitions for life and we actually find a peace with what's going on in our world. Because if we approach Jesus in any other way, if we approach the Bible in any other way, wanting it to fit within the confines of what I like and what makes me feel a little bit more comfortable, then the waves of this world are gonna toss us and turn us. And I don't know about you, anybody here gets seasick that wants to admit it? Like you get on a boat and it's not good. Yeah, some of you, look, take note, don't stand by any of these individuals. <laughs> I saw a video yesterday, this, this isn't exactly funny, but I thought it was funny. Any of you like, like America's Funniest Home Videos when people fall? I, 
Sorry, I just, I think it's funny. I, I never think it's funny live. My heart breaks if I see someone fall in person. But for some reason, if I watch it in, in, on a video with music to it, it's just absolutely hilarious. Well, this woman was throwing up on a cruise and she was kind of leaning over. She's just like gallons. Sorry, not, oh. <laughs> no one here in the front row. I'm like, yeah, like gallons, just gallons. And they're kind of holding her and something happens with the waves and she goes up and over. Like she's gone. Has nothing to do with the sermon at all. I'm trying to figure out why I even. Yeah, don't go on a cruise. Anyway, let's go back to the word of God. So if we approach him humble and with a personal sense of seeking and a hunger to be shown mercy as a sinner, that sets us in the right direction because our minds aren't his minds. Are you guys okay with that? You can't think like God. You can't fully understand God. You never will. There's a limitation to what we have here. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and nine. God says in this passage, he explains why that is. For my thoughts, God is saying, are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, you gotta trust me with this. Your thoughts can't comprehend this. Your ways can't comprehend this. You're gonna have to trust me. We do this as, as parents all the time with our kids. You're just going to have to trust me that eating 10 cupcakes right before bed probably isn't going to be great for you. Well, as a little kid, it's like, I don't get it. And as a parent, very loving, lovingly and graciously, you say, I don't care if you get it. Just do what I said. Luckily, God's way more patient with us. He says it so eloquently. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. So when we try and wrap our mind with what's going, around, uh, going on in Europe, your thoughts and your ways are not mine. You just got to trust me. Well, does that mean we just lay down and just let life happen? No, not at all. But it's the condition of the heart. Let's make it even more practical. Uh, things are topsy-turvy with friendships or within a marriage or in family dynamics. You just got to trust me. My ways are different than your ways. And my thoughts are just altogether different from yours. And I'm gonna ask you to trust me as your loving father. What we see in this final chapter of uh, chapter 13 is that, listen, Jesus can be the least appreciated even in the place where he is best known if the kingdom of this world resides in the heart. Dan talked about this. Mark talked about this. That if we allow, there's two kingdoms. We have the kingdom of this world. We have the kingdom of God. And if the kingdom of this world resides more heavily in your heart than the kingdom of, of God, then you are going to be tossed around. Jesus can be the least appreciated, even in the place where he is best known. Where is he best known? Church. It's not rocket science, gang. He can be least appreciated in the church. 
That's some humble pie for us. Because we're really good about going, hey man, Boulder's just a dark place. Man, they need the Lord. If the kingdom of this world resides more heavily in our heart than the kingdom of God, then Jesus can be very much the least appreciated in this room. And we have to wrestle with that. How important is that, that, that church-going people heed this warning, the religious people heed this warning? Well, let's look further uh, at our text. Look at your scripture. The story occurred when Jesus had just finished teaching, and he had been teaching forever. He had been done, doing tons of teaching, not just these parables. He's revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He departs to a place where, where, where he was teaching, and then he goes to his own country. And that place, as Luke tells us in his gospel, is Nazareth, where Jesus spent his like growing up years. He was a little kid. He was uh, Teddy and Henry running around doing Ring Around the Rosie during worship. He was a carpenter. He spent his teenage years. He spent his initial adult years. That's where he goes. Nazareth, if you don't know, is this small, little, humble town. Think Louisville, uh, maybe like 30, 40 years ago. Everyone knew each other. You didn't get away with anything. Everyone knew Jesus. Everyone knew his siblings. Everyone knew his parents. Everyone knew everyone. There was no secrets. And that's where Jesus goes back, to a place where he is known. These people went to my second grade birthday party. They gave me Valentine's presents. They rubbed my head and gave me nookies. Like, they know me. And so he goes back there. But these people would have seen him for a long, long, long time growing up. Many of these people played with Jesus. I don't, I don't even know if they had swings Maybe they were stone swings, but, but they played on whatever form of playground they played on. They ate together. They sat around campfires together. They celebrated the Passover together. They lived life together. To be sure, Jesus was a carpenter. There were people in this town as Jesus comes home that's like, hey, I still have the coffee table you made me. Hey, you know that bookshelf that you and your dad made me? Man, we still have it. it look at it. It's in, our, it's in our room. The bed you made us. The candle holders. Man, you were an incredible carpenter. It's so good to see you. And Jesus comes back. I want you to understand the humanity of what's going on because that reinforces what's coming later in our passage. There's love, there's acceptance. It's almost like a family reunion. And you can be sure that the people of Nazareth have also heard the stories They've heard about Jesus preaching. They've heard whispers and remnants of the Sermon on the Mount. They've heard about the miracles. They've heard about the meals. They've heard all of these rumors, probably like I once caught a fish this big, kind of like Mark, but he proved it last week with a picture. But, you know, like maybe the stories have become inflated. Like he didn't heal 5,000. He healed like 30,000. He didn't just feed, feed a few thousand. He fed a million. And, and there were all these leftovers. Like, who knows what happens? But to be sure, the people of Nazareth had heard one of our own has been a rock star throughout the land. And that's the context that Jesus is coming home. 
And when he would come back home, you would expect that there would be cause for celebration. You would expect that there would be banners and Edison lights lining the street and poppers and, 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 and fireworks going off. You'd expect, maybe you've seen this before, where someone famous grew up in a hometown and the hometown makes this huge sign that only the locals really read, but they feel good about it. And they go, Mickey Mantle grew up here. Or like home of Babe Ruth or home of Michael Jordan, home of Barack Obama. Like all of these different things to highlight, this is our guy. Hey, he's cool, but he came from us. You know, they kind of ride his coattails. That would be the expectation. The problem is, if that's what you expected, you'd be sorely disappointed because there was none of that. At best, there were raised eyebrows. Jesus surprises you. Jesus demolishes expectations of him. He isn't what they expected him to be. They approached with disbelief, clinging very proudly, and, and let me know if this sounds familiar, to self-sufficiency, self-strength, self-wisdom, self-understanding, self-choice, denying their need, demanding that he conform to them rather than they to him. And they would have become, and they did become deeply offended. Look at uh, verses 54 and 57. The people of Nazareth were offended. The word that is translated here, he taught, I think I've got it uh, marked out in red, he taught and they were deeply offended, suggests in the original language a progressive action. That is, he was in the process of teaching them. This is what's called in grammar. I don't know how you, many of you remember much grammar, but this is in the imperfect tense, which means it's happening simultaneously and it's progressing. It's happening real time. So as he taught, they keep getting offended. He keeps teaching, they keep getting offended. So it's not like he taught everything and they went, I don't know about that. No, the minute he opened his mouth to teach, they began to be offended. Another word out of his mouth, they get more offended. He makes a really good point, they get even more offended. And you can almost picture the people squirming in their chair, rubbing their hands, rubbing their forehead, putting their hands on their hips, squirming around in their chair, like they're getting infuriated with this boy who's come back home and to them thinks he's all that. And they're like, you're just a carpenter with some really good wisdom. And this suggests this ongoing offense. And what was it that he said that was so darn offensive? As I read the New Testament, many times Jesus offended people and there are surprisingly a lot of those times. Uh, this week, I, I just, I, I read through all the Jesus stories, and I'm like, dang, he offended everybody. Rare was it the time when he walked in and there was peace. 
And yet, what, how do we live as Christians? We just want everybody to be happy. We don't want to offend anyone. Like, don't even mention culture because I'll lose my witness. Hogwash. Hogwash. Jesus was offensive everywhere he went, and it was his love that was offensive. It was his call to, to submit that was offensive. Why? Because they either had to believe what he said about them about himself and turn from their sins and trust him or they had to refuse to believe what he had said and reject him out of a hardness of heart. That's the decision. And Jesus is okay with that. And friends, he's still okay with that. You either accept me for who I am and the gift that I offer and turn away from your sins and put your faith and trust in me or you go your own way and good luck with that. I wonder how many of us would have been offended that day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say I probably would have. I would hope that I wouldn't. but I don't like being told what to do, especially if I knew the guy. I mean, Ethan, stand up. Ethan's always my go-to prawn. Ethan goes away, he comes back, he's gained a pound, <laughs> and Ethan just starts getting all up in your grill going, this, this, and this. I don't know, Mark, like, you gonna just submit to that guy? Like, just, it's just gonna come natural? I have way more empathy and sympathy for the people that are hearing this. They were wrong, but I get it. Why do I get it? Because I do that in my everyday life. You do that in your everyday life. Jesus says, don't look at that. Don't think that. Don't respond this way. Don't allow yourself down that path. And we go, hmm. Pound sand, Lord. We don't say those words, but our actions say that. So I have a ton of sympathy for these people. Luke in his gospel gives us an example of what he was telling them, and it's not easy. Luke chapter four, verses 16 through 19, starting uh, and also 20 and 21. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures. Again, let's make this, let's humanize this. Everyone always gathers at the synagogue. Jesus has been gone for a long, long time. He's the rock star, presumably. Everyone adores him. They're speaking about him and they're like, yeah, 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 it's just Jesus. Like, we know that guy. We saw him when he hit his thumb with the hammer. You know, we, we saw him at the birthday party trying to dance. He has no dance skills. Like, trust us, we know who Jesus is. So he walks in and he says, uh, hands me the, 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 the scriptures, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet was handed him. He unrolls the scroll and he found the place where this is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. You can picture people going, okay, no problem so far. For he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives that will be released. The blind will see that the oppressed will be set free. And at that time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he rolled up the scroll. So far, no problem. 
handed it back to the attendant. I wonder what that eye exchange was. And then he sat down like a boss. What happens? All eyes look at him intently. Now, the idea of intently is an interesting word. Some are in anger. Some are in passion. Some are in, uh, with, a, with an extreme focus. We don't get much more than that, but the, uh, the preceding verses kind of give us a little bit of insight. There are daggers looking at Jesus. What else are you going to say? Then he began to speak to them. So notice what's happening. Like if I stand up and I go, I just read the scriptures, you're like, Pastor Brian, just read the scriptures. The minute I set that down and I begin to expouse on that, you're like, okay, now you've gotten away from the scriptures. Now you're sharing your, with yourself. Same thing with Jesus. He read the scriptures, no problem. Rolls it up, hands it to the dude, sits down, everyone's looking at him. Then he begins to speak and they're like, oh boy, here we go. The scriptures you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. They already have a raised eyebrow. Today, the scriptures you've just heard, they've been fulfilled. Meaning, the spirit of the Lord is not on you. It's on me. And he, God, has sent me, not you, to proclaim that the captives will be released, which they have been, that the blind will see, which they have been, the oppressed will be set free, which they have been, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. See, they've been waiting for this. They've been waiting for this Messiah. And then Jesus rolls up in a church and goes, the one you look for And no doubt you could have heard a pin drop. You see, he didn't say these things in a defiant way. He said them as truth and factual, but in love. He was compelling. Luke tells us further, he says, all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words at which proceeded out of his mouth. And, and so it's not like he was boastful in it. It's not like he was prideful in it. They all witnessed and marveled at the graciousness at which he spoke. But there was disbelief in the hearts of those who heard him. They said, is this not Joseph's son? They wondered, where did this carpenter's boy get all this wisdom? Yeah, I love my bookshelf, but Messiah? That's quite a jump, Jesus. Like, what gives you the authority to walk into the synagogue and start making these claims? And this brings us to verse 58, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, which tells us that they responded to him with unbelief. His very own rejected him. That is so sad. And it's foreshadowing to his time on the cross. 
And friends, it's the same today. Jesus is not what we expect him to be, and people must either be changed by him or they will take offense to him. They'll either fall on him or he falls on them. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 11, that he came to his own people and they even rejected him. You see, I I can picture Jesus, and I don't know if this is thought, but I can picture the humanity of Jesus going, man, I've been run out of towns left and right. I've had people throw things at me. I've had people say things about me. I've had people give, quote, fake news about me, and people believed it, and they ran with it and rejected me. Man, at least I'll be okay at home. It's a bummer. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. See, it wasn't everybody. It might have been a silent minority, but there was someone in the back. There was someone back here. There was was someone way back there. There was someone quiet up here in the front. And they believed and they accepted him. Even amidst the chorus of disbelief. And he gave that person, that, those people, that young girl, that, that young mom, the right to become children of God. And this story teaches us a great danger that we all face, especially in the church. That Jesus can become least appreciated in the place where he is best known. Nazareth was where Jesus was best known. And they turned their backs on him. Again, look at verse 58. We're told, and so he only did a few miracles there because of their unbelief. You know what's cool about that? And I hope this gives you hope. That even in our unbelief, even when you tell God to pound sand, even when you have no desire to read the scriptures, even when you have no desire to pray, even when you have more questions and answers about God, even when you have more doubt about God, he'll still do a miracle in your life. Your questions, your distancing of him, that doesn't stop God. He'll still pursue you. He'll still love you. He'll still work things for the good of your heart. Now, will he do everything? It says he only did a few. Mark in his gospel tells us that Jesus laid hands on a few sick people and he healed them, Mark 6, 6, regarding this particular story. So even as they are offended and not believing, he's still healing. But that was all. He didn't do in Nazareth, his very hometown, the sort of mighty works that he did elsewhere. They didn't get to see that. They didn't get to experience that because of their unbelief. They wouldn't believe in or trust him, and so they didn't get very much from him. And what a tragedy. What a tragedy. How much we lose out 
when we won't by faith receive Jesus as he truly is. Not putting him in a box, not thrusting expectations onto him, but just taking him as he is. Leaning into his character. Leaning into his strength, his wisdom, his understanding. And trusting that. And choosing not to be offended by the King of Kings. The lesson to be learned from this then is beware of becoming so familiar with Jesus that you no longer hold him in awe. And nowhere else is that a greater danger than in the church. Especially for a lot of us that we've grown up in the church. I had a moment this week where I realized I've become way too familiar with Jesus. I can tell every Sunday school story. I can run VBS. I can lead mission trips. I can preach. We can put worship sets together. Familiar. And I had a moment of Jesus kind of grabbing me gently, but grabbing me nevertheless. And say, will you please stand in awe of me? And I had to pause for a moment, just being honest with you. And I said, yes, Lord, but I don't know if I can do it like all day, every day. I want to. But man, life is so distracting and busy and fragmented that I, I just need to tell you, Lord, like I don't always operate in awe. I operate in task. And super gently, I just felt like the Lord said, that's okay. We'll work on it together. And so I'm working on that. I'm working on my awe. We must never approach Jesus thinking we've got him fully figured out. What a danger that is. We must never think that we, we don't have sins that need to be delivered from or by him or that there's nothing much more that we need to learn from him. Humbleness. We have to remember he's the teacher, we are the pupils. Let's make sure our roles are right. Jesus has nothing to learn from you. He's not interested in your wisdom. He gave it to you. He gets it. He's the healer. We are the sick ones. He's the savior. We're the lost ones. And so we must never lose our wonder of him. We must never lose our wonder of the kingdom of God. And if that takes morning and night, beginning and ending our day with the right perspective, then that's what we need to do. 
if you need to set a, a, a reminders on your phone, if you need to put sticky notes around the house, whatever we need to do to lean in and push in to the, to the love and mercy and grace of God, that that's what we need to do. And let's always welcome him for who he truly is and allow the freedom to shatter our preconceived ideas about him or his kingdom. That's what we've learned in this series. The kingdom of God. I'm gonna ask you to stand. We're gonna close our time reciting out of the King James Version, the Lord's Prayer, and we're gonna recite it together. So would you please stand? This is an ancient, ancient prayer and one that so encapsulates what our pursuit is. It sets us in the right direction. It guides our hearts and it prepares us for communion. Because what we do here is a gift, it's not a right. Being able to gather is such a gift as our brothers and sisters in Ukraine are hiding for their life in subways and food pantries and bridges and trying to be quiet because they do not want to be slaughtered. Trying to keep little kids and babies quiet so that the Christians will not be discovered. And yet God is ruler over all of that. And in him we can trust. So let us pray the prayer of the Lord, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you remain standing?